In this episode, we're going to talk about detecting deception. We're going to look at some of the trends, some of the patterns, some of the things that people tend to do when they're being deceptive, what the difference between deception and a lie is, how to use the word deception in a sentence, because apparently it's something that is needed to be understood. We'll look at some different tips and techniques that you can do to look for deception, and we'll also discuss some of the historical studies and facts, how this stuff's determined, how they figured it out, what really can be counted on in what situation and why. Right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome to episode 19, part two of Detecting Deception. did have a question a couple weeks ago from a listener. I'm not going to read the question. I just want to remind everybody, as was a nice reminder for me, not everybody who listens to a podcast, their primary language isn't necessarily English. Some people, it's a second language. I was clearly able to identify English was a second language for this person based not only on their question, but the use of the language. So I just want to clarify for everybody so we understand what deception is and is not when it comes to using it in a sentence. For the listener out there who sent me that question, I'm sure you know this is for you, so I hope this helps you understand it a little better. Maybe you can compare it to your own language. So deception is a noun. It's a thing by itself. That's what it is. We look at it as an inanimate object. Then we have deceiving. Deceiving is a verb. So that means it's the action a person is taking. So if a person is actively doing something, which would be deception in this case, we would change the word deception to deceiving. And then if you're talking about somebody that may or may not be actively deceiving or practicing deception, we would describe them using an adjective, which would be deceptive. So that's just to clarify for you. I'm sure you can understand that or clarify it in your own original language. But deception, deceiving, deceptive, they are all essentially the same thing with different labels depending on how they're using a sentence, depending on what we're talking about and how a person's using them. The other thing we want to look at is the difference between deception and a lie. The way to look at that is all lies are a form of deception, but deception is not in itself necessarily a lie. One of the things you'll learn is you either read studies or practices, read books or listen to me, or somebody is a practitioner of doing things like detecting deception, reading body language, assessing the use of language, these types of skills, is that deception is often present without intent to lie or intent to be deceptive. That's not uncommon. Studies find that all the time. A very good example, you can see, now I don't know, how often this actually happens, but you can see it on uh, TV shows like a Netflix or whatever, where cops are interviewing somebody and they're really trying to lay on the pressure or whatever they're doing. Sometimes we see them or believe we see them when they talk about false confessions. And this doesn't necessarily indicate a false confession, but a lot of those people will show off many signs of deception more than those law enforcement professionals are trained to see or even aware are there. But part of it is the stress of the situation beginning to believe that they're being deceptive, beginning to believe that they're in trouble. Fear, agitation, frustration, intimidation, all these things can cause deceptive behaviors when somebody's not being deceptive at all. It doesn't just take those, that's just a good example. This is why when we talk about deception, we talk about detecting it in clusters. Clusters aren't necessarily just body language. could be eye movement, could be tone of your voice, could be the word choices you use. We have to look at all these things together to form an idea, which is why it takes a lot of practice and study to learn all these different things, to figure out what it may or may not actually mean. Is it possibly a lie or is it not? That's why we have to look for these different clusters. 
And if I've said before, clusters in any written document are usually going to tell you it's at least two things. There almost always is going to be three or more because there's going to be words being used, some sort of nonverbal, and their tone of voice, which can go farther into eye movements. Typically, just for nonverbal body movements, there'll be at least two or three. So we're up to, what, seven or eight now? Um, there could be emotional things on their face, micro expressions, macro expressions. So there actually, any given time, is probably five to ten things going on uh, every second to few seconds in any conversation. Remember, too, that when detecting deception, you have several opportunities to look for it in any conversation. Now, this depends on whether you're in the conversation asking a question, uh, receiving a question, or if you're observing questions, because typically there's questions. But even if there's not questions, you're one of these three people, one of the two people usually in the sending and receiving of the conversation, communication, and an observer. And this is in anything, just sitting there around the house talking. And the first part is the opening statement or the opening idea or when a person's being asked a question. That's one of your opportunities to look for any type of reaction that is nonverbal and possibly even verbal, but specifically nonverbal to start gauging any physiological changes or any other changes from their baseline. So their baseline is a state of mind. Think of it as a state of mind. We have a normal state of behavior, a state of mind, the way we speak, the way we act. Now, understand, too, that this isn't the same all the time. What I mean by that is it's the same in a specific environment. Some people act a certain way at home. They act a certain way at work. They act a certain way around the kids. Whatever it is, it's their baseline. Then, in conversations, questioning, interrogation, uncomfortable situations, whatever it is, or conversations they're not really prepared to have or don't like to have, anything involving confrontation, could be any of these things or more, that baseline will change abruptly when a question or idea is introduced, and that's what we're looking for. Now, why we're not really going to talk about baselines in this podcast, I do want to point out that to think that because you know somebody, you're married to them, they're your best friend, they're your child, they're your parent, they're your sibling, they're this coworker from work, your drinking buddy, it doesn't matter what your relationship is, to just think that you know what their baseline is, I'm going to tell you right now, that's a mistake. You need to establish and develop what that baseline is. Sure, there are some subconscious things from being around that person, as I've said before, that I'm sure you pick up on. But to use that as your general idea for another active adventure, another intentional exercise to determine whether or not they're being deceptive or how they're reacting to things, you got to do the baseline portion first. Figure out what it is, reestablish it, just to be certain. It's a mistake to do otherwise. If you wouldn't do it with a person you don't know, then why would you do it with a person you do know when it's not something you're already actively looking for? The next step is processing. Once we ask this question, start this idea, this conversation, whatever it is, we see some sort of initial response when we're asking it, then the processing time. Now that processing time could be a few seconds or it could be relatively quickly, but there is some sort of mental processing. People use it all the time. It's completely natural to take a second or two, even a few seconds, depending on the length or detail of this question presuming it's a question, and then they're answering their response, which will be the third time that you're really going to start looking for what they're doing, how they're reacting to it. And then the fourth thing is after they respond, once that's all over with, what is their reaction watching you? Because part of this cycle has now gone back to you if it's a back and forth. So you ask a question, you're looking for something, they're processing it, then they start answering. As you start answering, that's no different than when you asked it. They can start looking at you for you processing what they're answering to you. 
and it's a never-ending cycle. But it's just to understand there's at least four specific opportunities you can look for at any given time to see four different reactions or responses, at least four. There could be more. And you got to understand this is why it's so difficult. You could ask a very simple question. They could give you a direct answer, and the whole thing could be over in five or six seconds. All four of those opportunities have come up. And in that five or six seconds, at least them have probably had somewhere in the neighborhood of six, probably more like eight to ten nonverbal and verbal cues or tendencies or reactions that were something you could read to make an assessment. That's all in five or six seconds. Let's say it's a series of questions like that. They're all completely different. So let's say you do it 10 times in a minute. Now that's a lot, but we're just doing the math here. 10 times in a minute, they give you 10 different things. In 60 seconds, they've given you 100 different things to read. Now, is it always going to be that many? No, but 50 is not unrealistic. And the people that are pros that are really looking for it because it moves so fast might identify 20 or 25. So how many can you really identify? So there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of information to look for and a lot of things to put together. Now, as you start learning more about this and as we get into it, when you start reading articles or reading books, just, again, pay attention to that person's experience in education, where they're coming from. Some people overuse words too much. People who use the word lying too much kind of get to me because they're not really looking for deception. They're looking only for lying or they're thinking all deception is lying, and you'll see that in the writing, so be careful of that. The other thing is people talk about guilt or guilty knowledge a little too much. Now, while that's typically things written for or by law enforcement, you have to take that with a grain of salt as well because it's driving home this idea that we're detecting deception, but it's all about guilty knowledge. Like they know that they're guilty and that's a huge fault in uh, law enforcement when they think that way. That's not how they should think. They'd be far better off and far more successful detecting deception. But one of the things I found that um, <laughs> it's kind of funny, it's in an article and I'm pretty sure the FBI <laughs> plagiarized some work that I'm familiar with. Clearly, they did. But one of the things they were talking about was um, they're identifying certain reactions as survival instincts, almost like fight or flight. I suppose it could be that way. But there are some things that they have seen that they try to focus on heavily in their training as some of the more common indicators. Uh, Now, of course, this is a law enforcement situation, but they talk about people who demonstrate certain types of tension in their bodies, such as the furrowed brow or forehead immobile arms, disappearing or tense lips, which is kind of like pursing your lips or hiding them. Um, That's possible, I suppose. Distancing by leaning away. Distancing by leaning away, not always the case. Um, A lot of times that is person getting a more comfortable, relaxed position to think and to ponder the situation. Sometimes they're just physically uncomfortable. Sometimes there's the use of what we call pacifiers. I've talked about this before, such as tactile touch, stroking the face, Um, biting the nails, licking the lips, wringing the hands, tugging at clothing to relieve stress. So to point out simple things like only certain ones of these, biting nails, licking lips, wringing hands, tugging at clothing are identifiers for stress and relieving stress. That doesn't mean deception. just means that they have a little stress. They could have had that stress when they came into the room of the conversation, or it could just be the conversation. That's no uh, indicator of deception by any means. Stroking a face is something different. It depends on how their hand's being used and where in the face they're stroking it, which is something they clearly don't understand. They're trying to talk about, too, like uh, immobile arms. So a better way to put that is anchoring, where somebody chooses to take a body part and anchor it to a physical object or their body to have something to pivot off of. 
and it gives them a bit of relief of stress. However, this type of anchoring is and has been shown to coincide with deception or intent to deceive. So one example of anchoring or also self-touch for tactile relief of stress is a person, especially when they're recently married, will massage their ring finger or the ring that's on there. Or if they're not married and they do that, they're probably in a close relationship. Some people will take, say, a thumb and press down hard on a surface and use the rest of their hand to move around. Or if somebody's sitting in, say, a swivel chair, and let's say they need to swivel in order to look at a long table of six different people they're talking to in an interview. And what you'll see them do is keep one foot on the floor the whole time. And as they pivot and as the rest of their body moves, you'll find that one foot stays there as a pivot point. That is their anchor. What it does is it'll allow certain amounts of tension and stress that people don't realize they have to go there so they can open up the rest of their body, like their facial expressions or hand movements, whatever, to speak. Um, so if you see that, try to get them to not do it. But that's another form of anchoring. Sometimes people just put their foot on the wall or lean on a wall and try not to move. So you're looking for that physical part of their body. Usually it's going to have to do with a hand or a foot, but not always. That is physically touching something and will not move, even though the rest of their body will. And that is a sign of deception due to their stress relief. It doesn't mean it's deception all the time, too. Just sometimes it is. That's why we need all these other things to look at. So as you're going into this, do understand a sign of something that is deception means through study and observation, it tends to be that way, but doesn't mean it is. There are some things that tend to definitely mean it almost all the time, whereas some things, very, very little. The other thing, too, is then you have to figure out, assuming you have no other factors you can identify but that one, even if it is deception, is it willful? Because that's only about half the time. So there's that to look at. Then you have to look at what were your own biases? Did you already come in the room assuming this guy was going to lie? Even if you came in the room, this person lied before for whatever reason. If you walk in figuring they're going to lie now, it doesn't matter how you phrase it. You've already decided, which means you will see their deception as a lie. So that'll be your fault. And that happens all the time. So you have to look at that. And then it's from that point on, once you start speaking, how you handle that situation that may cause more stressors. And are those things that you do, you don't realize how to control to calm the situation, not really trying to build rapport, but to apply pressure, meaning to or not, making this person cause more signs of deception that you decided already were lying when in fact, there's nothing wrong with them. Now, if this sounds crazy, I spent all weekend watching some documentaries and crime TV shows looking for things I want to use in this contest where I give these books away. And a lot of them, even ones where they're very specific about people who gave false confessions or pressured into doing things out of fear of worse things happening because they didn't know any better, that was the exact pattern it followed. That was the exact pattern it followed. And how those cops still have their jobs, I don't know. But that's just to let you know that's very real. So like those other things before that are tend to be ways we relieve stress can be signs of deception. Um... Understand this when we'll talk about a few more. There are things that are signs of deception. There are things that are signs of stress. And there are things that are both. Okay, so some signs of stress have nothing to do with deception. Many signs of deception have nothing to do with stress. But we're going to look at a few of the things that can be both. And we need to realize something. This is why I started off mentioning the things like guilty knowledge. One of the things, uh, especially the FBI does and they talk about, is guilty knowledge. So when they show these signs of stress, they're signs of deception because they have guilty knowledge. And we know they have guilty knowledge because they're brought in for questioning 
as being directly involved or direct knowledge to this criminal act. That is a mistake. Don't do that in your personal life. If you're law enforcement and you want to do it, have at it, but you're going you're gonna to make mistakes. So some other signs of stress that can be signs of deception uh, that are also tactile self-touching are things like a self-massage where people rub their arms. Um, they could rub the back of their neck. That's a possibility. Excessive sweating. Now, mentioning all these things, including excessive sweating, we also have to remember about our environmental factors. What's the temperature like? Is this person physically ill or not feeling well? How are they dressed? Is it too bright? Is it too dark? Do they wear glasses? Does it affect? This is one of the mistakes people make in law enforcement that as interrogators, we don't talk to people until they talk to a medical person every single time they're going to come see us. We have them evaluated and gone over and checked, and we not only do it so that they can't necessarily pull any garbage on us, but it's to make sure we know what's there to make them more comfortable because we want to build rapport and we look for things and ask them these questions. So when you see this stuff, that's what you want to find out about. Does the AC need to be on? Does the heat need to be on? Is it too dark? Is it too bright? Do they just don't like that kind of table? Are they afraid of small spaces in the tiny little room you got in? And some people think, well, let's make them uncomfortable. All's making them uncomfortable is going to do is make them uncomfortable. It's going to make them less cooperative, less ability for to process thoughts and ideas and to respond intelligently. It's also going to give them more uh, stressor responses that can often be misled or misunderstood as deception and also can cause them to give many signs of deception unwittingly when they're being very truthful. So those are all things to consider. Other things is you might see people um, just massage fingers, cover their fingers. Some people will start covering up things about their body that they don't like because you're so close and can see it, such as blemishes on their skin, rashes. You'll see this especially with men but sometimes women covering the groin area is a sign of protection of a vital point. You may see women sit in a way where they start to cover their breasts more as a vital point. Some people will lean over and cover their stomachs, much like an animal will, to protect those vital organs. Those are all signs of stress that can be misunderstood as deception. There's other things, too, that show fear, guilt, and shame that may not be any of those things or may not be deception. So those are all things we have to consider as what we see as negative things that are often misunderstood to mean to be deception when they're not necessarily deception. This is why if you take the proper steps, if you really want to have a conversation, how do you make this person comfortable, number one? Because you got to remember, flies with honey. So nine times out of 10, no, 99 out of 100. How do we make them comfortable? How do we build rapport? How can we do that before we even bring them in to have this conversation? Are we having it in a way, in an environment that they're not used to being in? Okay, then we need to make extra effort to do that. So we make them comfortable. We find out things about them. We start to build the rapport. Although we let them know we're having this conversation, whatever it is, we have the conversation. We keep it kind of low-key. This will work 99 out of 100 times. And we keep them more relaxed and more comfortable. Now here's why. We don't get all these signs of stress that we're inducing because that's what's happening in these other situations. They are being induced in the person. They're often being induced in a way to, because it's believed by some people, and often it tends to be certain types of law enforcement, but not all of them, tend to believe it's going to cause people to give up these signs of deception when all it is is showing them signs of stress. The other thing we talked about is those four steps when we're asking a person a question, talking to them when we're looking for these things. If we have everything calm, 
we're building rapport. We're using that time to establish the baseline, especially if we already know this person or work around them. Then the only thing there that can cause stress or make them uncomfortable, logically, not a guarantee, but logically what is most likely causing them the stress is the conversation. Then you can look for those changes from the baseline and you can always go back to rapport building or anything to calm it down and you look for the opposite. So if you have rapport, you have this stuff going on, you have a comfortable situation, then a conversation starts, something uncomfortable happens, a person gives off the signs of stress that may be a sign of deception. If you reel it back and go to rapport building or calming the situation down and you see the exact opposite happen, the stressor goes away, then you bring back that part of the conversation, that question again, and the stressor comes back up. It's pretty clear that you've taken most of the stressors out of the room the best you can. You've built rapport. You calm the person down. You made it a comfortable environment. You've twice now turned it on and turned it off. You can do it a third time if you want, but you have a pattern. You've seen the signs in the clusters, and you can therefore identify deception. At that point, you have the ability to go further and say, Okay, how much more of this conversation do I need to have? How much longer do I need to go to figure out which pieces of this are deceptive as I break it down, as well as determining, is this willful deception or is it not? So this may seem confusing, but this is why it takes a long time and a lot of practice to do it. So I am going to continue talking about some tips and techniques, signs of stress, things that look like deception. I'm going to keep talking like I have been, putting them in examples to help you understand. Don't get the idea that you see a sign of deception, that means it's deception. Don't get the idea that it means it's willful deception and it's a lie. You know, don't get the idea that you see a couple of these things and you don't need to look for other stuff. Don't get the idea that somebody tells you, and I'm using cops for a reason because they do this a lot in some areas where they say, look, you do this, you cause stress, they're going to break and blah, 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 blah. No, that is completely wrong. There's no science that backs that up. Sure, they've gotten convictions out of it. Sure, a lot of them have been guilty, but a lot of them are not. And those are mistakes. So we don't want to have those mistakes in our personal lives. We want to make things as comfortable and comfortable meaning as close to normal as possible because if you try to be too comfortable, stand out. So that we can notice those changes. We can notice those signs of distress. We can notice those signs of deception. We can notice the change in behavior. We have a comfortable, normal environment that is normal to that person and comfortable to them so that we can establish what their baseline behavior is. And even if you don't know how to do that, even if you're trying all this before I teach you how to do that, and they have a baseline that you're trying to figure out or don't know how to figure out, and then you notice the deception, you notice that standout, what that tells you is subconsciously you've already started picking up on that baseline. Now, going back to those four things, when we can look for stuff, part of it is when they're answering, meaning why we can't see nonverbals, we're looking more at verbal stuff at that time, trying to pay more attention to the verbal stuff. Now, granted, this is part of rapport building. That baseline isn't just their nonverbal, it's also their verbal behavior and see if they tend to follow the natural tendencies most people do. But there are some things studies show, especially in verbal responses, that indicate deception. For example, people are being deceptive often avoid statements of ownership. What they'll do is distance themselves from the story and avoid taking responsibility for that behavior. And that's really noticeable if you get two people or I say a person's talking about a situation with another person where there's two people involved and they're both there, but they're both doing it. They're both owning it. Then the bad thing happens. And you'll notice that even if they don't accuse the second person, their use of language is they'll distance themselves. There's no longer a we factor in that. And they'll talk more about them or what they don't know. And that's a huge sign of deception. Another thing is you'll start to see them 
use more negative emotional words. So understand means more. The use of negative emotional words doesn't mean deception. It's the use of more of them out of the ordinary. A lot of the common words like worthless or sad, hate, uh, even the word liar. When we start seeing more things like that, they'll use what we call exclusionary words, excluding their self, such as, well, blah, 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 except, blah, 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 but, or words that start with nor. Those types of words, they kind of indicate or distinguish what a person did from what they did not do. And we also see this a lot in writing when people are being deceptive in writing because they have a problem with the complexity, no matter how educated they are. And that's a very common thing. However, in the same idea, take this in mind when you're reading and studying stuff is people, depending on what they're writing about and how they teach this material, have their own hangups and mistakes as well. You know, one example is if we look at um, the lie detector that's inadmissible in court in the United States. So it detects physiological responses. The people that defend it the most believe that its only real weakness is the questioner. That's mistake number one because it's only looking for physiological responses and it doesn't check all of them, hardly any of them. There's better lie detectors at the federal level to check more physiological responses. However, they have much better questioners, much better techniques, and they're also connected to other machines doing other things. And even then it's questionable. So there's a bias there for people who have it. The other thing is they think that if you ask the right questions, you'll get the right responses and determine whether or not somebody is being deceptive. That's false. Um, examples, I, I recently listened to this podcast. Uh, if I could remember it off the top of my head, I'd definitely share it with you. They brought this guy in who was an FBI uh, lie detector guy for many years. I actually was. He doesn't know me. He wouldn't remember me. But just to practice this he's one of a few guys that i took a lie detector with and i took it with him twice very specific ones so in the situation where i was essentially lying my ass off i passed and in the situation where i was being completely truthful i failed and it was just to prove the point of the effectiveness of only using that single technique the other one is you'll see people that follow or write heavily on emotions being revealed no matter how it's being done and they'll stick with that that's all they will follow now why there's books i recommend on that you have to go into that knowing it. In the same way of cramming somebody in a closet and making them uncomfortable to make them show signs of deception when they're really just uncomfortable and stressed, some of these guys will go way too far in focusing solely on emotions, give it all up. I read one by a guy who's fairly well known in the circles who talked about being in an interview and somebody having sweaty palms. And he knocked it down to only three, I think three or four possibilities that uh, well, their their palms are sweaty because um, you know they're afraid of being caught in a lie about their qualifications on the resume, or it's illustrating their fear that they won't be believed by the interviewer even though their qualifications are real, or they're sweaty because they're worried about something else that's unrelated. And like those are the only real possibilities. And I was like, you know, the most common thing studies have shown, and trained investigators and interrogators have seen with sweaty palms as people that are clenching their fists, almost white knuckling, which is a sign of stress, which may or may not have anything to do with deception. And typically, the people that do it, almost all the time, do it at the start of these interview and important situations because they're very important and they're stressed about the entire situation in general. It has nothing to do with lying. Also, the fact of just saying these are possibly lies or will give off signs of deception is foolish because we're only looking at that one thing when there's so much else going on. So it's easy to uh, prove or disprove. 
you'll find the same thing out with IAXIS queuing. You'll find the same thing out with questioning techniques. That's why you have to learn about them all, as many as you can, put them all together. Set the situation up as best you can in order to determine what to do to figure out how can I see these signs more easily? What is the baseline of this individual? So take that with a grain of salt. Look for those biases. There's plenty to learn from these people. Make sure you know what you're reading. So I say this because if you want to have another fun number, one to five. So there's five things that are going to show deception, and those can even be broken down even further. So one of them is going to be your body language, nonverbal body language, which we've talked about. Another thing is going to be just by itself facial expressions, which includes things like micro expressions as they're pretty much uh, solely around the face, tend to typically have to do with emotions, although not always. Um, we have verbal content, which is the words we're using, and the verbal style, how we're using those words, as well as tone of voice. And if uh, you're unclear on tone of voice, go back and listen to the first Detecting Deception one where we talk a little bit about that. So those are five different areas. Those are going on all the time, whether you see them or not. That's just fact. Like microexpressions, very few people can see them. They're only like one, they're less than one quarter of a second, and most of them are far less than that. And you can't really see them without blowing up a picture of a face and knowing what you're looking for or being right in somebody's face. There's almost nobody that can stand even three or four feet away from a face and see too many microexpressions. So they're there all the time. If they're talking, you have verbal content and verbal style. If you can see their body, there is body language. And if they're speaking, there is a tone of voice to be followed. So there are five things going on constantly. Now, even when they're not talking, you're still going to have facial expressions and body language. You just add three when they're talking. So you got two things going on no matter what. And the second they start talking, you got three more. So don't just get stuck on looking for one thing. Something else to look for, too, is anything that is not normal for them. Okay, baseline just means normal for that person, and you have to understand those things. If you have somebody who has a very mild form of Tourette's, there's going to have a lot of eye movements, facial expressions, and head movements that you cannot necessarily factor in unless you can somehow establish a pattern, which is highly unlikely. That's fine. You still have three out of five things. You're focused heavily on tone of voice, vocal style, and vocal content. We're also looking for conflicts, self-internal conflicts. Is there a conflict between what the person says verbally and what's being presented non-verbally? The most common one we see is somebody that is giving a positive or affirmative statement, some sort of affirmation while shaking their head, as in shaking it no. Or somebody that's given a negative response or a denial statement while nodding their head yes. I see this all the time in interviews, specifically interviews with law enforcement or interviews with celebrities. Something else to look at on your own. Go look up, say, Google Images. Look for multiple pictures of the following seven things. These are the seven universal facial expressions no matter where you are at on planet Earth. Fear and anger, disgust and happiness, sadness, surprise and contempt. Now, when you look at these, you'll see they're all symmetrical except for one. Symmetrical means they look the same on both sides, like a smiley face looks the same, right? Contempt is asymmetrical. It's not the same on both sides. Here's why this is important. Contempt will stand out. But when people want to give false emotional messages, or even if they're not trying to do it, one thing that will give them away when they're full of it is these other six things, anger, fear, disgust, happiness, sadness, and surprise, will become asymmetrical. Now, there's no 100% guarantee in this, but there is a strong drive that shows, some studies show anywhere from the high 80s, 
to the high 90% of the time that somebody's being deceptive, they have asymmetrical of those six when they're supposed to be symmetrical. So that's something to look for. And when you look at a symmetrical and asymmetrical smile, you will see it. You will see that asymmetrical smile and be like, that's a sneaky little guy. That's somebody who just, you can imagine the conversation somebody said. So learn those things. What do they look like? What do those six look like? Because once you see contempt, you'll never forget it. What do they look like? What's an asymmetrical and a symmetrical one? You can identify those and then match it up with either what you think you heard in tone of voice or how they're communicate to you that you don't like, feel uncomfortable, like this guy's being deceptive. Now, big thing I'm driving home here, if you haven't figured it out yet, there is no such thing as a single sign of deception, let alone lying. Okay, I guess the closest or only thing you can come to it is if you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what the answer is, and you know the other person knows the answer, and they give you a different answer, sure, that's your single point of lying. But that's a direct statement. That's not the same as using any of those five qualities to figure out if there's deception. There's no single thing. It's hard to really say that with even two or three things at once that's our cluster. That's why it takes time. That's why I talk about preparing the environment, building the rapport, so we can see those changes and differences. This is also why conversations go on longer. And no matter what we see and what our planned conversation is, we always bring it back to these areas to re-verify whether or not something's valid, truthful, or show signs of deceit by asking those questions again do things called repeat and control questions. We ask them in different ways. We ask them from different angles. So we go in and we not only see possible signs of deception and we see three, four, five, six things. We see it multiple times over several seconds or several minutes of a conversation. And then we see it multiple times again when we come back to that point in the conversation. And if you do it in a structured manner, it works very well. The other thing too is why a lot of these focus heavily on emotional states and emotional responses don't get totally stuck on that either. There's tons of people who don't show any emotional state or emotional response, but yet can show signs of deception. You know, there are true things like sociopathy and psychopathy and how they react and how people act, especially with sociopathy, where you have to rely heavily on things like microexpressions or other use of language through observation where they don't know you're there to determine whether or not they're being deceptive or truthful. That is far more difficult because one thing they don't show is emotional response because they tend not to have them. There are a few other things, too. I'll give you a list I prepared. Prepared list of things that are tendencies. Remember, these are tendencies, so we have to add all these things together. How often are they doing this? When are they doing this? Did we have a change in the baseline? All these things we're talking about. Okay, we've got to factor all this in, but these are tendencies that people are deceptive tend to do. Examples are they will answer questions that they're not asked. So when you ask them a question and they're not really answering your question, they're answering another question, that's a, probably a pretty good sign. They'll also answer the question with a question, which is very common. They'll tend to not make any self-correction because they don't want to give off this idea that they're unsure about what they're saying. And so they'll just kind of go with it. Uh, there's also things like memory loss. We talked about this in the last one where sometimes, but not all the time, the use of based on what I recall, especially in a court setting, is uh, a stage deception typically. I call it stage because those are rehearsed conversations, but it's a stage deception of memory loss. That's all that is. I don't recall. I don't remember can be that too. It just depends on what's that person usually using. A lot of time people will be deceptive when asked about things they did. will definitely tell you what they did not do instead of saying what they did. You know, especially if they know what you're talking about. So we're uh, here today to talk about the break room. And uh, Lindsay's purse was in the break room and there's three people that came in at 
separate individual times before she returned and her purse is missing. And we're just trying to see if, if anybody knows. So can you tell me, uh, we have here that, uh, you went in there about two o'clock. Yeah, I did. Okay. So when you went in there at two o'clock, um, what did you do? Well, I didn't steal her purse. So that's a sign of deception. They're acting as though they're already being accused. Another thing is they'll tend to justify their actions when justification isn't necessary. I see that all the time. <laughs> it's actually one I, I bust people on it all the time. It's crazy. But yeah, if they're trying to justify their actions when it's clearly, clearly not needed. They intend to include emotional feelings. Or not include. They tend to not include emotional feelings. Sorry, I'm reading this and trying to explain it. So they tend not to include emotional feelings in their account of events. I look at that one as a 50-50 in this country. Now, it's definitely, if you get outside this country and you're dealing with terrorists, you're not going to see it as much, but it's a 50-50. You need to build up other things to figure out if that pattern definitely exists. But there is something to be said about that, a lack of emotional feelings in the account of events. Where you really look for this are law enforcement situations where like a family, immediate family member of the house dies, goes disappeared. A lot of times you'll see somebody doesn't have emotional feelings and that's a red flag. The other thing too is you have to figure out what normal is for them when you can't. There's a lot of those people are feigning those feelings. So you have to look for other signs of deception. I actually recently watched a thing this weekend that I'm not going to mention because I'm using it in this contest, not using the specific part of it, but this family member, I was like, wow, they're feigning emotional feelings and these guys don't see it. Another thing too is people are being deceptive tend to report exact times and dates to prove they could not have committed the offense in question. That's different than providing an alibi. Oh, at this date, at this time, well, I was out of town that day. I flew over here and stayed at this hotel. Okay, that's that's one thing. But when they get really, really specific, unless they have something to prove it, like a receipt, and it's it's kind of the same thing as justification. Like they're overly justifying it with facts and numbers that weren't really looked for without being able to prove it. Like, oh, I get what you're saying, but I was at the restaurant at 12.15. I know I was there because when I left work, I remember seeing what time it was when I walked into order, so I knew how quickly I had to eat, and it was 12.05. And I was there. I waited in line for a few minutes, got my food, ate my meal. I didn't see what time it was that was left, but I guarantee it was more than 10 minutes later. Okay, that's that's fine. That's an explanation. And that's what we're talking about, about the exact specificity. Another thing is... Um, People are being deceptive tend to ask for a question to be repeated or clarified. Now, it's a little different when they say, don't understand the language, you don't understand the words you're using, or they're trying to understand you better. That's not uncommon. But if you ask them a question, they pause, they're doing that thing where they're processing it, goes on for a few seconds, can you, can you ask me that again? I would start paying attention at that point. Because if you don't know how to do IXS queuing, more than likely what is happening is they're figuring out how they're going to say or construct an answer. And then they lost track and they need the question again because they're going so deep into their deception that they forget what's really going on. And that can, that can be a problem that we don't want to have to deal with. Another thing is um, kind of like what I talked about with the feigning, the uh, fear, the emotions. It's uh, basically people that express emotions that aren't genuine. We can see that with the, the asymmetrical uh, facial responses that are supposed to be symmetrical. If you know how to identify those or look for other signs of deception. A lot of people that if they'll give off many signs of deception, but at the same time are feigning some sort of emotion or they have an emotion, 
it's very difficult to throw off all these signs of deception yet have your emotion be real. So if you're seeing all these signs of deception and you're verifying them through question and observation, and yet they're maintaining a consistent emotional state of some sort of emotion that's being essentially broadcast, it's probably a fake emotion. Another thing is uh, what they'll do is if they're being deceptive, they'll tend to describe kind of a weakness or flaw in other people. They want to drive the focus away from them. Even if they know they did something bad, they'll always talk about the other guy and what they did and why it's so much worse. It's not that it's so much worse. They want your attention drawn that way or your anger, your emotion drawn that way. So whatever you're about to do to them will be lessened. Um, so look out about that. I see that all the time. I see it with people in relationships. Focus on, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this right now. That's how you want to approach that. Um, they tend to have fewer details when describing events or activities. They tend to keep it very general or broad. Um, not in the way of, I've talked about the epilogue, prologue process of telling a story, but too broad. Think of it as like when people provide too much justification that's not needed. How about when they're being too broad and vague when they clearly should know more details? That's the sign we're looking for. Uh, other things we can look for, though, are things that tend to be truthful. However, that doesn't mean they're always being truthful, so we want to still look for other signs of deception. So one of the things we see is truthful people will often talk about things they learned from their past experience. You know, oh, I wouldn't take somebody's purse because, man, when I was a kid, <laughs> I got my mom's purse. She beat my ass. I mean, it could be something like that. Other things, people who are truthful will often include mistakes they made. They'll, they'll definitely talk about and admit mistakes. However, that's a very common thing to use for deception, to uh, feign truthfulness by providing mistakes you made in the past as a form of deception because it's one of the easiest ones to do. Um, so just be aware of that. People talk about events that happen. They'll usually include dialogue, meaning conversations that have happened. Tend to recall either uh, more accurately the conversation as it happened, as though it's being transcribed, or if they can't do that, then their natural ability will lean more towards expressing the emotion in the conversation far more accurately than the actual words being used. People that are being truthful tend to report events and activities without exact times and dates, without the exact specifics, unless they're reminded or have something that they can reference. Not always the case, but that does happen. That's also one of the easiest things to feign or fake if you're trying to appear truthful and being deceptive. Another thing is people who are being truthful often report events and activities without necessarily a coherent structure. The reason why is people are deceptive tend to plan and prepare these statements, and therefore there is a very coherent structure. When you talk about events and activities in the past, especially if you take like a court case, a law enforcement case, and they asked about somebody something weeks ago, months ago, sometimes unless they were directly involved, and even then it can be rare, is they don't have a coherent structure because it was a significantly emotional event or it was a long time ago. Um, another thing we're looking for is people that are truthful tend to include sensory information, such as the way things smell or the way things felt, as in touched with their hands, or artistic expression, artistic descriptions. Now, the thing about all these truthful ones, too, is think about this. Having them there tends to mean they're truthful. Okay, no guarantee. 
not having them there doesn't mean they're not truthful, right? Deceptive signs, deceptive statements, deceptive tone of voice, body language, all these things. Having them there tends to mean deception, especially if we're going to identify the patterns in use over time. Time being just a matter of minutes, probably in a conversation. You know, doesn't mean it is, tends to mean more signs that are there, the more things are happening repetitively. Yeah. Even if you don't know specifically what they're being deceptive about, you know they're being deceptive about something. However, not having them there doesn't mean they're not deceptive, right? Remember what I said? You got those five things going on anytime when somebody talks, and you probably have micro expressions you can't see, which is six, on top of the regular ones you may not be paying attention to, um, which are the macro expressions. Then you have probably three or more nonverbal things going on. So that bumps you up to eight, at least eight things going on, right? Are you going to see them all? No. So if you don't see the things that are signs of deception, doesn't mean a person's not being deceptive. How many can you really see? Can you see and identify consciously and process, track and follow eight different things with your eyes and ears, just those eight, every second of a conversation? How difficult is that? So there's plenty of information there. It's just whether or not you're seeing it. So do understand that just because there's signs of truthfulness doesn't mean they're telling the truth. Just because there's signs of deception doesn't mean they're being deceptive. Just because either one of those is gone doesn't mean it's not happening. So to go back and summarize, let's look at a few things. All lying is a form of deception. Deception isn't necessarily lying. Sometimes, even if a person is being deceptive, it's subconscious. If a person is telling something as they were told or as they believe it to be, but deep down inside they question it, they will show signs of deception. Those are things you figure out through questioning. This is why we have questioning and conversations involved in detecting deception. Now it's a little harder when you're just observing, depending on if it's a structured conversation like an interview that you know how to follow, or if you're just observing people from a distance or on video without listening to uh, what they're saying, which is a useful tool. You don't always need to see somebody to detect deception. You can detect it just with three of those vocal factors. You don't need to hear somebody. You can detect deception with the two other factors that are nonverbal. I mean, sure, it sounds better to have them all, but there's things to consider. In a conversation, somebody isn't always talking. So two of those things, three of those things aren't always there. The other thing is, depending on how well you need to focus, distractions, or how many things you can pick up on, if you have, say, a recorded conversation, you might need to listen only to the audio or watch only the video to pick up on things that you're not necessarily getting because of distraction. There are things that tend to mean deception, tend to mean truthfulness. If they're not there, it doesn't mean those things aren't happening because who's saying you can see it all? If they are there, it doesn't mean they can't be faked. However, saying that, I will tell you this. I pointed out a couple of things because of the most common things and easiest things to fake. Don't get too hung up on that. It is far easier to fake um, deception than it is to fake truthfulness. Far easier to purposely look deceiving than it is to purposely look truthful. The other thing, though, is the most common signs of deception when somebody is trying to fake it are easy to identify if you know what you're looking for. So when you start seeing those asymmetrical six facial expressions that should be symmetrical, that's a huge red flag. If that's all you see, pay attention from that point on. Even if you don't recall what happened, everything sounded good before that, I'm telling you, that's one of the biggest flags. And a lot of times, the one you're actually going to see is one of the more positive of the six, and it's because of the pride and ego of the person who's delivering that, thinking they're being successful. It's a huge flag. So while 
most of these tend to be generally equal. <laughs> I will tell you that one is not. So don't worry too much about things being faked. Okay, if you want to start looking for things, here's how I suggest. If you're going to look for facial expressions, you want to look for people in important positions or think they're in important positions that are being interviewed, not interrogated or pursued, and being asked questions that are off-putting or they don't appreciate. So look at journalists or talk show hosts talking to elected officials. Or look at elected officials, especially any president, doesn't matter who they are or when, that addresses something that happened that somebody said, whether it was true or not, it's how they took it, and seeing their response after they make the statement of that person's claim or that person's statement. Even if you don't know what you're looking for and you have to watch it multiple times, one of the first things you'll pick up on in those situations will say, well, this person or organization said or did this, then they'll respond to it, right? They set it up and they respond to it. One thing you'll notice is everything about their behavior changes. If you want to look at things like microexpressions, don't. Learn the other stuff first. Microexpressions don't matter unless you can get really close to somebody and there's no guarantee on them. Just like everything else, you still need to be able to pick up on other stuff. You can't hedge your bets on microexpressions because there's plenty of things you cannot see. With microexpressions, you get four or five feet away, probably even less, that you can see with other factors and here. If you're looking for following deception, learning about how people speak, look at court cases, people on trial, the way lawyers are asking questions, the way the people are responding. Yes, a lot of them are prepared answers when they're on the same team because they've had these conversations, but listen to those. Is there deception in there? You'll probably see it, probably find it fairly easily. While there's a little bit difference in looking at things that are written, you can still compare some of the ideas. If you look at like prepared statements, like so many companies are putting prepared COVID statements out. Go read some of them. Like It's like clickbait almost. Here's what they're saying the headline is, but they actually don't address it in the statement. Or you'll see that they're not really addressing the situation from a health standpoint. They're addressing it from a situation trying to make themselves look better. And then compare that to other things, other people you see. Look for comedians and late night talk show hosts. Specifically ones that do monologues and uh, things like that off recent events, usually of the day. It's very easy to see their biases, but also to see signs of deception in their statements. Watch uh, interviews, interrogations, whatever you want to call them, with citizens and law enforcement. Watch both sides of it. You'll see it not only in body language of both, but you'll see it and hear it in their uh, use of language and what they're saying, how they treat the person and the environment they're in. Just compare some of the stuff I talked about earlier about how people are made uncomfortable. You'll see that. Take a look at anything where a person is challenged by another on their authenticity or on their statement or the validity of it. Watch their emotions change. If they're writing, watch their writing change. Watch behavior and attitude change. You'll see the deception in it. I see it on YouTube all the time where people respond to other people, whether it's, a, say, a live chat or a, just uh, they're addressing something that's happening in current events. You'll see it just like talking about a president, for example. They'll talk about something that happened, and then they'll you'll see as they're getting near the end or the climax how they change, and then when they respond to it, you'll see the reaction. At a minimum, you'll see an emotional bias in somebody who can't make conscious decisions very well. But more than likely, you'll see signs of deception that they're putting on a show. I see that all the time. And I use that as a simple example because no matter what anybody says, for most people, things like YouTube and social media, it's a character. It's not the real person. I don't know too many people, a couple, a couple people I know on social media, that how they act is exactly how they are. Everybody else is fake usually to a large degree, they're playing a character in a role because 
they're either doing it for money or in most cases they're doing it for emotional satisfaction and value. And that's why their ego gets hurt so badly. You know, listen to the first detecting deception one. After listening to this, also go back and listen to where we talked about propaganda and understanding the differences in propaganda. That's on the, uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, my false flag videos, at the beginning of it, I talk about things like propaganda. Just watch that portion of it. Learning about what propaganda is and information warfare and how it's used, where I talk about things like the news. Then you can go back and watch the news, any of it. And you'll see the signs of deception. And when you start seeing it real easy, quit looking at the stuff you don't like. Start looking at things you like in favor and you'll see the deception. That's how you can really do an honesty check and check yourself. Watch the things you support and believe. You support this type of news, this type of news channel, this political thing. Go challenge those people and look for them. Identify your own biases and keep them out of there. And you'll see how deceptive everybody is all the time. It won't matter who they are. And you'll see your own biases, how many biases their supporters have, whether it's politics or whether it's social media, it doesn't matter. That's when you're starting to get a grasp on it. If you can't do that, then you're just fooling yourself to look for deception for anything. So if you enjoyed this, don't forget to like and share with the people you think will enjoy it. Uh, I've already started this week scheduling some stuff, more tips and techniques on detecting deception. We are at episode 19. 20 coming so pretty soon here we're going to be talking about our little contest where i'm going to give away some books to people three pairs of books on detecting deception one focusing heavily on uh, reading emotions and another one on identifying through situations um, different stories and analogies given from people that are former cia case officers or worked in the field doing interrogation and investigation that are very skilled at detecting deception so i hope you enjoyed the show we look forward to talking to you again right here on gray man hiding in plain sight